guy. Ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11, for Dave and Dijanovic. I just love when people ask for feedback. And to me, when people are asking for feedback, that tells me that they are in the right mindset. That humble place of wanting to be better and learn and understand what other people are seeing that they're not seeing. So I guess for me, if it came down to what question are people uh, not asking, it would be, what are my blind spots? What am I missing? And what are you seeing that I'm not? Because Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Co-founders of Four Foods Group, if you missed part one, Please go back and listen to the how they grew from one cafe bakery to uh, 170 stores now and quarter of a billion dollar company, 20,000 staff they've employed in the last 20 years in their businesses. Um, Andrew, uh, since you've got the mic, I'll start with you on this one. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's, uh, being a higher profile business person around here, I'm sure you get hit up for a lot of things. And people, they come saying they're looking for advice, but what they really want is money. or they they come saying that they want advice, but really they just want you to repeat the decision they've already, confirm the decision they've already made before they talk to you or whatever. Um, so knowing that you probably have a set of questions you're getting asked all the time, what's maybe a question that you wish people would ask more? What are they not asking that you think they should ask? Um, I think that the question I don't hear anybody ever ask me is why should I not do this? And I think I tell them that without them even asking that. I tell them, here are some of the reasons why you should consider not going down this path. Um, and I think that most entrepreneurs that are trying to go into this have read too many books. They listen to too many podcasts that say, drop everything, risk everything, go do it. Because if you don't do it and you don't ever try, you'll never succeed. That's all true with a well-vetted out plan, Right. It's also probably smart to think about who's also going to suffer with that decision, right? So if I'm sitting with an entrepreneur and he has a wife and two young kids and he says, I'm going to try this and I have a well-vetted out plan and I have access to some capital and everything else, I would say that's the right time to do this, right? Because your kids are pretty malleable at that age. They're not going to remember you working your 20-hour days. But if he comes and says, I want to go do this, and I'm like, there's 4,000 of those concepts around here what's different and he can't tell me that i'd say why would you risk your wife and children going down that road when it just doesn't seem very smart so i just think why shouldn't i do this should be thought about vetted and really well articulated in your own mind 
uh, before you go down the path of any type of entrepreneurial venture? Yeah, I guess my next one for Shauna would be when you think about um, when you think about especially today as women in entrepreneurship is is such a popular topic in the business media and stuff like this, um, and there can be uh, you know. I'm just thinking about CEO clients of our consulting firm who are, you know, moms who have started businesses that have got into the millions and, and you know, some of it was different when they got there than they thought. Um, can you talk about uh, just pressures of like, um, you know, I'm thinking about women I have a ton of respect for that, that tell me uh, sometimes they feel like they're being told the message just being a mom isn't enough or... You know, you started out with saying mo being a mom was your favorite job. Yes. Can you talk about this this balance beam of like in enjoying the professional endeavor um, and not having the like? It's almost like they feel guilty for liking being a mom so much, and that they should want to be. There's all these they, there's all these professional shoulds on them. Do mm -hmm. you? And any comments on this kind of an idea? Yeah. I Well, someone said to me the other day, if ever you use the word should, that's a, a shame word. And you're shaming yourself when you say that. And I'm like, like, because I said, oh, I should have done that. And they were like, don't shame yourself. They were being so nice to me. And I was like, what? It's a shame word. So, yeah, if anytime now when I'm saying I should feel this way or I should do something, I'm like, maybe I should reconsider how I'm feeling. <laughs> but going into... The balance of being a mom, being a wife, being an entrepreneur, running a business, being accountable to all these employees who are showing up to work every day. I have found that there is a myth in that word balance with all of that, for me at least. It's more of a, a game of triage. If you think of an emergency room, if someone comes in and they're bleeding out, of course they're the ones who are going to get the most attention at the time. And so it is a game of triage almost daily for me. Who is needing the most attention right now? Is it my family? Is it the business? Is it, is it my husband? It just, it, and it changes daily. And then my priorities can shift one way or the other. And of course there is the responsibility that I have to, to be good at all of it. And so there is kind of, I don't ever want it to sound like um, if, if I need to be at home all week that I'm just leaving the business in shambles and staying home, never, not that. But there's a way to um, band-aid the bullet holes at home and then show up to work and figure that out and then show back home and, and, and go, go that route. We women do have, I, I think, some guilt that we carry when we're not doing everything to our very best. And I think it's because we are so honest most of the time if you think about, um, I don't even know what the statistics are, but when it comes to running for government positions, I think women run significantly less than men because women think, well, I'm not the right candidate for that. I'm not capable of, of necessarily that job. And it's because we're so truthful, even with ourselves, like we're just honest about it. And, and so there is, um, I think there's some guilt that we carry and maybe it's that we're just being very truthful with with ourselves I as far as where we're at in, in this time I love being a woman I feel like it's one of the my greatest assets I f I appreciate other women who I get to learn from and and my favorite part of sharing this this time with other women is that 
I get to see other women being very tough, but also tender. And, and it really is a time when we need a little more kindness in the world. And this, this day and age is when we could probably use a little more kindness. And, and so seeing women rise to, to the occasion and be more, um, a part of, of what's happening and, and definitely being heard more and being put in positions of, of power where, and influence where they really can, can change the landscape altogether. You know, I think just I, in some ways I feel like our consulting firm has had an overrepresentation of women executives and women CEOs as clients, um, maybe compared to the, what the mix in society is. And um, it's just an observation. Maybe you see it different. Sometimes I feel like the deck, is, the deck is stacked against you guys a little bit more because not only do you have all of the problems of the business, like just that, but then there's, there's um, I guess I feel like when I think about our clients, that um, it's like people feel more entitled to let you know what they think you're doing wrong. You know, uh, like, w you know, some, some, you know, one superstar woman who's been just amazing, she really helped grow our charity, Child Rescue, for quite a while. Um, you know, and people who then criticize, like, well, I'm not sure she's being a good enough mom, right? And, and there's, like, you know, family members saying, um, y you know, judging her for, for choosing her professional pursuit, right? And then on the other side, there's the, um, you're skipping this business meeting to go to your kid's soccer game. Like, aren't you committed? You know, are you really the right person for this position? And it's like, it, it's just an observation. It feels like where maybe for men, people may think that, but it seems like they're more likely to keep it to themselves. It's just my observation. It feels like there's a lot more like people let you know they think you're doing it wrong if you're a female entrepreneur. Do you, yeah. do you see that too or is that just me? I do and maybe it's because as women we accept people's opinions and feedback very easily and so maybe people feel like they can share with women more and maybe so certain women more than others. I, I live by this famous quote by Eleanor Roosevelt where she said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And... I love that because I think I have felt judgment on both sides of that spectrum, both as a mother and a wife, and then on the other end um, as an executive in a company. And in truth, I, I think of back to that quote, and it's, it's my choice. I can hear and listen to what they are saying, but it's my choice if I choose to absorb it and accept it or not. And most of the time, I just choose not to, whether it's coming from another woman or a man. And yes, there are moments where um, comments can sting for, and, and really also it's probably a good gut check to be like, hmm, am I, am I doing that? And could I be better? And if you can honestly go out in the world and say, I am doing my very best and I am committed and am I perfect? No, but am I committed? Absolutely. That is, that's the gut check. And as long as you can answer it with that answer, then I don't think there's any reason to feel the guilt that sometimes other people impose with their own judgments. It's their judgments. It's, it has nothing to do with you. That's awesome advice. Um, one of the other things kind of going along the same route, what's one of the things you have each learned about being a parent from being uh, a business person, an entrepreneur, you know, some of those l key lessons you've learned about how to raise your children or even be a better spouse uh, to each other? 
Oh, those are two big different <laughs> things. Um, I'll start with the parent part. You, my children were six years old and one and a half when I went back to work full time. And in the restaurant business, full time is more like 60 to 75 hours. It's a week. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. And I, for years, I think I probably felt a little bad that I was working as much as I was and that they were home alone. And I was also in the retail business and being in retail, the holiday season is super busy. And, and so there would be Christmas activities that I missed and Christmas programs at school that passed came and went because I was in the store working and I couldn't get away. And then a few years later, I had a couple experiences where one day I came home one night and my oldest son had ordered DoorDash and it was there for the whole family and we were we were ready to eat and he had handled the meal for everyone and he was still like a young teenager. It wasn't even that he was very old. So that happened. And then not even a couple of weeks later, my younger son approached me and said, hey, mom, I signed myself up for football. I need you to get me a check for one hundred and twenty five dollars and um, show up to my game and drop me off at my game at six o'clock on Wednesday. And I was like, hold the phone. I can either take this as a major mom fail moment or look at it as, wow, you guys are independent uh, strong individuals who are making choices for yourself. And I'm actually going to pat myself on the back, and that's actually a great thing. So all of those guilt moments actually um, paid off for sure. So um, any mom feeling those strong emotions, just know that in the end, it ends up working out. And my children to this day tell me they know how to work hard because they've seen mom and dad do it. So Jay and I are real nerds for Stoic philosophy, you know, like from 2,500 years ago about choosing how you're going to see things. I feel like you could like teach a class on this. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's great. No, I would say for, first to clarify, we didn't leave our kids when they were six and one at home alone. There was someone with them. They weren't there just alone. I just want to make sure we clarify that we're not these awful parents. Yeah. So everybody's listening. I was judging you. Yeah. I. <laughs> I knew someone out there is going to judge like these <laughs> awful parents. He like just like chained them up at home. Um, no, being a parent and an entrepreneur and leaders of a business, you know, you can be executive of a business. You can be a sales guy that's on the road a lot. It doesn't matter if we're all busy with like we all are. It's getting more and more busy for all of our lives. We're moving at a faster pace. It, it's the same struggle we all have. And that is the balance. And I think that Shauna answered it perfectly when it's kind of a myth. It's a myth to me too. And I think that for us, we were trying to balance it all out at the beginning of our careers. And just like everybody else feels, it's just not very good. It's not very well done. You don't have a, there's not a book to balance it out. Well, actually, there's probably a lot of books about how to balance life and work. And, but for us, we've just made it one. And when I say we've made it one, we've made our business and our personal life one. Where when we come home, we'll still talk about work at home. And I did that even when Shauna was a stay-at-home mom with our boys. I would tell her everything about the business. And so when we started this business, it was very natural for her because she had heard everything about the businesses that we had owned before. And here my boys now, you know, I'll walk in and I'll be on a phone call and they're not impatient and they're not upset that dad's on a phone call or I have to step out of an event to take a phone call or I've got to travel somewhere last minute. They actually ask me, how was that phone call? Hey, did you get that funding in? Hey, did you guys, you know, open that store? How'd the store opening go? They want to know because they want to be part of your life. What kid does not want to be part of their parent's life? 
And so I think that we've solved it a little bit to where our kids actually care about the business. They care about what we do. They're interested in it. And not that they even have to want to do restaurants in their life. I mean, hell, I didn't know I was going to do restaurants in my life either. I was going to be a tech CEO the rest of my life. And now I'm doing restaurants. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It matters that they're involved. And so I would say to everybody, involve your kids in what you're doing. Don't have this Chinese wall between work and then your life with them. Include them in what you're doing so they can feel the stress when you feel stressed because that's normal life. And when you have joy because something happened good, let them feel that too. Don't have a Chinese wall between it. That's such great advice. So kind of coming back to to four food groups, what's the future? What are you guys planning, working on that you can kind of share with people of the next steps, the big goals that you're working on? Yeah, that's a good question because we've looked at the industry for years now and we're trying to figure out um, where the industry is going um, all the time because people's uh, tastes and expectations and use of technology, everything changes all the time and, and we have to be innovative always on what we do as a company. Four Foods Group uh, this year will have generated a little over $810 million in food sales. So I think we have some data points on what people are eating, how they're eating, what's popular, what's not. And we see flavor trends changing. People's flavor palettes change every three to five years. And so for us as Four Foods Group, instead of doing it the traditional way of raising a bunch of money through traditional banks and one-off you know, investors, we, uh, we started a food and beverage fund. And so we're going to uh, approach this a little differently than most multi-unit uh, restaurant houses like we are. And Four Foods Group will have its own fund, and Four Foods Group will take its playbook and its firm and its expertise, and will target uh, younger, profitable, energetic, you know, p- uh, popular restaurant brands across America that are looking for that next stage of growth, but they're literally hitting a wall. How do I raise money, and how do I do this without a team? And for us to come to the table with money and the playbook and the team to literally just plug and play. We'll scale these brands that should be the next Shake Shacks, that should be the next Chipotles. We'll give them that chance because we'll get them from that five units to 50 units. And then we'll let someone else that's done the 50 to 500 units take it from us and do it, do it after us. But there's a huge opportunity in America right now where there's a lot of amazing brands that are not able to get into multiple regions because they don't have money and they don't have the expertise. And that's what we have. And I'd love to hear either one of you kind of dive a little bit into like what is that ideal just because i'm fascinated by it like how do you what do you look for like when you're when you're trying to find that ideal perfect okay this is a brand that's that you think is the next shake shack i think it's always hard because it's kind of like it's betting right i mean you're betting on what we think is the next hot thing but there are flavor trends that we can see um over the years catch on and they start to really you know pick up heat uh, and when we saw a brand like Swig, for instance, people look at that and say, God, haven't, hasn't soda been around for a long time? I'm like, well, yeah. But having it be convenient, have it be customizable so that when you go in, it's literally just as drink and they know you and they know that you like four spurts of coconut with a two limes and a little bit of Dr. Pepper and a little bit of Coke. And who the heck knows why you like that drink because it sounds disgusting, but it's his. That is on the rise. And we knew that. And because we saw that that was on the rise, we thought, let's hedge the bet, buy something that has already got a pretty good cult following. But if America is wanting to drink more soda and they want it customizable, that's a brand that we can take. So we look at the data in the market and we think, if we can get on trend, if we can be before the big wave of the new trend, like Nashville Hot Chicken right now is a huge trend. So we're looking at multiple brands like that because Nashville Hot Chicken will be very hot, no pun intended, 
for the next seven to 10 years. For us to buy into that brand with the founders and to look for founders that are like founders that we are, which is we want to do this for the right reasons. We want to work together as a team and we're willing to give up the goose a little bit to have someone else like you guys come to the table and help us. That's where we know that we've, we've hit it, hit the gold is we have a great brand, great new flavor profile, great founders that have like-minded entrepreneurial, uh, you know, uh, viewpoint on what they want to do. We, we know that we've hit the right brand. Um, maybe as we kind of close up here, Sean, I'll ask you the same question I asked Andrew er- earlier. Um, you know, obviously winning at the Segway Awards, you know, there's not a lot of, there's a lot more women entrepreneurs than there used to be. There's definitely not nearly as many that have built a quarter billion dollar business, right? Um, what do you feel like people aren't asking you that you think they should? Or what's, what's a soapbox item for you that you think maybe doesn't get as much airtime? I really, I guess for me, it's um, it's just asking questions in general. I am one who I feel like if people really want to know the truth about either their business or themselves or anything going on around them, they should just start asking questions. And I just love when people ask for feedback. And to me, when people are asking for feedback, that tells me that they are in the right mindset, that humble place of wanting to be better and learn and understand what other people are seeing that they're not seeing. So I guess for me, if it came down to what question are people uh, not asking, it would be, what are my blind spots? What am I missing? And what are you seeing that I'm not? Because... There is so much experience out in the world that we can all glean from. And just by asking a few questions and getting an understanding of what what other people are seeing that maybe um, that individual is not. So I, I would say, what are my blind spots? Okay, so I want to talk about this. I feel like there's a lot of people that know they should ask that. But what they're mostly hoping for is for you to tell them they're great, right? Can you talk about... For those of us who want to, like you talked earlier, hey, somebody makes a comment and maybe it stings a little, but uh, I benefit if I take a moment to ask myself, is there a kernel of truth? You know, maybe that wasn't polite, maybe that wasn't helpful, maybe that wasn't nice, but is there some kernel there that I do need to consider, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any, for, for those of us that want to become more like that, do you have any advice on how we can grow both the humility to actually want to hear the answer and the confidence to not be crushed by realizing we still have more to learn? Oh, I guess that is a, that can be, it can go both ways, I guess. Uh, To answer your question, I would say it really does come down to just the simple desire to want to know what people are thinking, but then also having the confidence at the same time to accept what people are saying without it being personal. And we talk a lot about mindset in the world right now, especially here in our own office and in our brands. And I I think about growing into that place of that growth mindset. Most of us start in fixed mindset and which is not being willing to accept feedback and not really wanting to and wanting to receive these positive labels of you're great, you are wonderful, and you can do no wrong. And that doesn't do any of us any good. So I wonder, 
um, to myself if it's if it's better to go out thinking I I hope that I hear something that um, maybe I don't want to hear and so maybe it, it has to start with this initial desire to actually be looking for and seeking the the honest feedback and the willingness to hear it and um, to be willing to change but but again also having the confidence to say all right does that really apply to me and and if so how does it apply and I guess it's just an inner conversation that you're having with yourself and and that's really what it begins no, I, with I, I love actually love your answer um and I'm I you know, the book mindset by Carol Dweck. That, yes. that is an interesting idea of, you know, if I have, if, if my worldview is that I am this way and I'll permanently be that way, then finding out feedback about my gaps is really scary if I think that that's permanently where I'm at, right? However, you know, reading those books or stuff like that, if I can help myself come more to the conclusion that, you know, if I make new choices, I will end up being someone different then it's not so scary if it's not a permanent label. It's a objective, objective ob observation uh, that I can now make a choice if that's something I think is worth the time and effort to work on. Is that, uh, are we speaking the same language there? Is that? Oh yes, definitely. That's, that book has been such an inspiration to all of us. And I think one of the things that has been such a game changer is just the deciding if you are fixed or if you are in that growth mindset and and the fact that most of us are fixed, it doesn't mean that we can't switch into a different gear and, and become more growth-minded. She's a stoic. You can choose. You can make yes. your own mind up, right? It's all about choices. It's true. Well, uh, you, anything to uh, add? I was just going to add that it's not easy, though, right? So I think that everybody needs to, to know that, you know, to be humble, to, to have confidence to take those strikes to the face to the face, it's not going to feel good and it's not going to be easy. And you have to be prepared for that. Right before you came in the office to do this podcast, I'm on a phone call with a gentleman back in Washington, D.C. And he's one of the highest up guys in D.C. over the SBA, so the Small Business Administration. And we're having a conversation with him. And in that conversation with me, my attorneys, my CFO, my partner, he literally says the sentence, but Andrew, your track record, track record is just not good enough for me. And for me, 21 years, raised hundreds of millions of dollars, I've put it to work, I've built successful businesses. To hear that, you have to have that growth mindset to say, why does he see that? And why in the world would my track record not be good enough to him? And what do I need to do now to make it as good as possible for someone like him? You have to be prepared to get smacked in the face. And even though I say the bat's coming, and you see it kind of coming at your face, you're not going to know truly how it feels until it hits you. So even if you're prepared, just be prepared. It's not going to feel good. But you have to be able to be willing to take the strikes to learn. You know, I, I really love that message. Uh, it's interesting how that, that I never stop needing reminders, though, <laughs> you know, to embrace it. Oh, for sure. I love it. Well, listen, if people want to connect with you guys or they want to find out if your restaurants are near them or they want to, you know, any of that, what, where, what's best? Website, social, where? Yeah, the website fourfoodsgroup.com right now has got all of our websites or all, all of our uh, individual website links. They've got all the locations to all of our, our units across America. We're in 11 states right now. Some new news will be popping on there here for some new brands that we're going to be acquiring here in the nation, which will be really, really exciting. And then 
I, of course, have linked there to Andrew K. Smith, Four Foods Group, and then Shauna's, Shauna K. Smith at Four Foods Group. Love it. Thanks again for making all this time, guys. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York, and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run, and it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks.